This is a healing service and we will be praying for people that want specific prayer at the end. We're doing a series on the book of Ephesians and this is chapter 5 which is one of the more controversial chapters in the Bible because it talks about the marriage relationship, relationships in general. And um, it's interesting that before Paul starts this section on marriage, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The answer to a, mar a marriage with problems is if you're both filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're hearing from the same voice, you're hearing from the same source. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is necessary for a harmonious family life. You'd seriously think that two people who are led by the Holy Spirit would be able to agree on most matters, wouldn't you? But that's not always the case. Because we're from different family cultures. We're used to doing things in different ways. Some of us are very spontaneous. Others like everything to be organized and planned in advance. We all go through fluctuating moods, don't we? There's times when we're irritable and anxious. So let's look at our main passage for today. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. And a lot of people talk about how women are supposed to submit to their husbands. But notice the first phrase here. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. All right, we're going to... Uh, tease that out a wee bit, look at what it really says and it's not just about marriage, it's about relationships in general. But let's focus first on verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christians, believers are called to lives of submission and that goes against the grain with many, many people. But harmony and unity of spirit can be achieved when there is disagreement. We can pray, talk, share what God is showing us and seek the mind of Christ in every situation that we are involved in. And together, as a husband and wife, we can see the bigger picture. And we can learn and grow and come into agreement as we discuss things together. God compares a healthy marriage to a healthy church and he makes it clear that husbands are to love and to protect their wives just as Jesus loves and protects his church. And wives are to respect, honour and submit to their husbands in the same way that the church yields to Jesus Christ. It's interesting to go back to back in the history of this church in Ephesus that that um, Paul is writing to, because Jesus told us in 
that in Revelation chapter 2 about the relationship between this Ephesus church and him. In fact, he told, he told us in, in Revelation chapter 2 that the Ephesus church was unhealthy. He carefully explained the problem that caused this lack of health and then he gave them some counselling and summed it all up by saying, you have forsaken your first love. Then he gives the solution to the problem in verse 5 where he says, repent and do things the way you did at first. And so the meaning of that word repent is to go back Turn around, go back to the beginning and do things in the way that you used to do them. And that this will bring healing that a strained relationship requires. Let's look more closely at this Ephesian church. What was it like when the church began? Paul visited them and ended up staying with them for two years. It was a really successful time. But just before Paul left, revival broke out in that church in Ephesus. And this revival is described in Acts chapter 19, verses 17 to 20, where it says, The Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced witchcraft brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So here's the Ephesian church. They honored the name of Jesus. They really loved him and they served him. They openly confessed the things that they were doing wrong and they burnt all their books on sorcery. And this resulted in God's word spreading powerfully throughout this region. These people were teachable. They were open to change. Their new relationship with Jesus Christ changed them in many ways. They thought differently. They behaved differently. They threw out all of those things that stood between them and Jesus. And as a result, everyone around them knew about their great love for Jesus Christ. How could we do the same in this day and age? How do people around us know that we love and serve Jesus? Are we different? We've had a bit of an issue happening in our town recently where they've installed a statue to an Indian spiritist in the domain. And in the Bible, that's a big thing. We're to serve God. And when Gideon became the leader of Israel, the first thing he did was to tear down the statues of Baal. And so the leadership of our church wrote a letter about that issue that is in the paper, last Thursday's paper. Things like that, it's very easy to sort of sit back and do nothing. But if it's offensive to what we believe and to what people in this town believe in general why can't we have a, so, a statue that honours a famous person from this town or has some cultural relevance to us here but there's, people, there's a saying that says bad things happen 
and good people do nothing. And so sometimes we have to speak out. Sometimes we have to do something. What are we doing that people around us know that we are believers in Jesus? So that was the church in Ephesus when it started. But then the Bible goes on and describes what that church was like 40 years later. And it might be the same in a marriage. Their love for Jesus had grown stale and empty. Unless they did something drastic, Jesus was going to walk away from them and take his blessing or his candlestick with him. So Jesus says, turn around. Come back to me. Love me the way that you used to. That's also the way to fix a broken church. It's really scary the number of churches that are closing down these days. But when those churches were founded, they were founded by people that loved Jesus and wanted to meet on a Sunday and worship him. And so God is saying, go back and do those things you used to do when, you're, when you first fell in love with each other. Remember when you first fell in love with your spouse, your partner, you were on your best behaviour, weren't you? You couldn't stop thinking about each other. If you knew that a certain behaviour was causing offence, then you stopped doing it. Your total focus was on pleasing that other person. If someone asked you about your newfound love, you only said good and positive things about that person. It's difficult to truly love, respect, submit and obey to our spouse in our own strength. We're all naturally filled with self-centeredness and independence. We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit to truly have the power to love and submit to our spouse. Now this concept of submission is often misunderstood it can be used and abused. But it's the key to happy and healthy relationships. To submit simply means to yield the right of way. Now, in 1986, there were two Russian ships sailing towards each other on the Black Sea. Even though the captains saw each other, each was too proud to yield the right of way first. And so they collided and sunk. Think about this in the context of driving. If we don't yield the right of way, we'll have a collision. If you don't want a head-on collision, learn to yield the right of way. Submission is a two-way street. There are times when I need to yield the right of way. There are times when my wife Helen needs to yield the right of way. We learn to utilise each other's strengths. Helen is a more generous person than I am. So if she wants to give to someone or something, I let her. I don't quench what the Spirit is wanting to do through her. And so we, can, we, we can't grow together without an element of submission agreement and compromise. It's give and take. But Helen and I don't make major decisions 
without being in agreement. This headship clause isn't a trump card for me to demand my own way and to force my will on my wife. It's not like that. Pastor George Crane tells of a wife who was full of hatred towards her husband. And she went to her counsellor and she said, I not only want to get rid of him, I also want to get even, she said. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. Dr. Crane thought about it for a couple of moments and then suggested a plan. He said, go home and act as though you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent thing he does. Go out of your way to be as kind and considerate and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that, and you've come to the realisation that he can't live without you, then drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she said, Great idea. Boy, will he be surprised. For two months, with great enthusiasm, she acted as though she loved him. She was kind to him. She listened to him and was constantly giving, supporting and sharing. Two months went by and she didn't return to the counsellor. So he gave her a call. Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I've discovered that I really love him after all. Without realising it and obeying God, her marriage was healed. She didn't realise that she'd forgiven and done the things that she had done at first. But when she did, she fell in love with her husband all over again. So headship has more to do with servant leadership than with decision making. As the head of the family, we're called to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Now I've never heard a woman complain that her husband loves her too much. Submission is a derivative of love. It flows out of love. In fact, love is very clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 8 where it says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Love is willing to yield. It's not selfish, demanding, or self-centered. Love is concerned about the care and the welfare of the other person in the relationship. Jesus always linked servanthood with authority. Jesus picked up a towel, poured water in a basin, 
and began to wash his disciples' feet. The deepest need of a woman is love and security. But not just any kind of love. Agape love is defined as love that acts for the best good and promotes the well-being of the other person, demanding nothing in return. What women need and want is a man who will fight for them, who will lay down his life for them, who will make sacrifices for them. One night in 2009, my wife Helen collapsed and ended up being taken by ambulance to hospital. And I stood beside her bed and I thought, what a treasure she is, what a love I have for her, how together we talk about everything, we make plans, we strengthen each other. And I, th I was thinking, what would it be like if she wasn't with me? And I actually hopped on that hospital bed with her and gave her a cuddle and we talked. And I realized how complete I was having this amazing woman around me. How that if ever there's something I need to celebrate, she's the first person to know about it. If ever I've got a concern, if there's something going on that I'm worried about, I need to talk to Helen. And in, in life, God gives us people to be around us, to support us through this journey called life. I read another story about a controlling husband who demanded that his wife submit to the rigid standards of his choosing. As a wife, mother and homemaker, he forced her to do certain things for him. Over time, she came to hate her husband so much that she hated all of his rules and regulations. Then one day he died, mercifully as far as she was concerned. Sometime later she fell in love with another man and married him. She lived with her new husband in a perpetual honeymoon. She was completely, he was completely committed to her and her interests. Joyfully she devoted herself to his happiness and welfare. One day she discovered those sheets of do's and don'ts that her first husband had written out for her to follow. And to her amazement, she found that she was doing for her second husband all those things that her first husband had demanded of her, even though he'd never once suggested them. She did them as an expression of her love for him and her desire to please him. He'd won her devotion by his demonstration of selfless love. Submission is a choice, just like lovers. We choose to love in both the good times and the bad times. A godly wife chooses to submit to her husband because she chooses to love him in the same way that she loves Jesus Christ. But what if the husband isn't a nice person? What if he spends all his time in front of the TV set? Or even he might even be a leader in the church who knows all the r religious things to say. But when he's at home, he pushes his wife around and speaks down to her and bullies her. 
The answer to that question is, is in 1 Peter 3 verses 1 and 2 where it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So even if you have got a mean, nasty husband who may not even be a believer, when you love him and care for him, that will impact his actions and behaviour. Last week, we talked about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we concluded that the Spirit is a dove who is sensitive and easily retreats. He's grieved by unforgiveness and sinful actions, just like a loving spouse is. He's drawn to compassion, intimacy, transparency and friendship. We're to give Jesus the glory and the honour when it's due. We're not to take his glory for ourselves. When the Holy Spirit begins to move, we're to obey him. When he says speak, we're to say what he tells us to. When our faith or courage is stirred, we listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. The Holy Spirit wants us to learn to interact with him so that we can work through our thoughts and our emotions. It's the same in our relationship with our spouse. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Galatians 5 verses 16 and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So the Holy Spirit wants us to turn away from those controlling negative emotions and behaviours. If we entertain negative thoughts of resentment, criticism and pride, our bodies react to those negative impulses of our soul. Living in the Spirit of Christ positively impacts our physical, mental and spiritual health. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 6, it tells us that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And there is a very strong relationship between righteousness, which is doing the right thing, according to God's word, and healing. Jesus heals because he is righteous. Sickness is to our bodies what sin is to our souls. The righteousness of Christ can overcome the torment that takes place in our human bodies and in our hearts and in our minds. The righteousness of the risen Christ is given to us as a free gift. As we worship God and glorify Him, He extends His grace to us. Grace to forgive, to heal, deliver and renew. He extends divine health that comes with healing on his wings. Today is a healing service. And so today 
I want to rebuke that spirit of contention that may be over your marriage, where you just get agitated with each other and you fly off the handle. You react. We want to break that spiritual force in the name of Jesus. We also want to rebuke the spirits of affliction and infirmity that steal life and health from our bodies. We pray for more of the Holy Spirit and for his breakthrough anointing amongst us this morning. We're going to enter into a time of communion. But before we do that, let's just look at a few verses from the book of James. There's some really important teaching here on healing. James chapter 5 verse 14. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is a command for all generations of the church. It's for you and it's for me. And then in the next verse, James 15, it says, And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So there's a few little things that we need to note and understand here. First it says, is any among you sick? Let that person call. You see, the sick person needs to, to demonstrate faith as well. So it says, let the sick person call and then let the elders who are the spiritually mature, who have strong faith for healing, let them pray for them. So it's a two-sided thing. If you're sick, you have a responsibility to ask for prayer. And oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. I've got oil with me this morning. We anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord. When I say anoint, I'll just paint a little cross on your forehead with oil. So we anoint people with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. The Lord will raise them up. Healing in the name of Jesus has continued throughout the centuries. And this, this verse in Titus chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 says, He saved us. Now the word sozo, which means salvation and save, in the Greek also means to heal and to deliver. He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. And so as we focus on Jesus his death and his resurrection this morning. Thank him for his mercy towards you, for giving his life and for taking the punishment for our sin. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Thank him for so generously pouring out his Holy Spirit upon us this morning. Open yourselves fully to the presence of God this morning. 
Ask him to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit. Desire to make Jesus Lord of your life and to earnestly seek more of him. Can I ask this morning that if you're here as a couple, that the husbands serve their wives communion and pray for them. And then after we've taken communion together, the worship team will sing a final song and during that final song, if you want prayer for healing, I've asked the elders and other people in this church that I believe have the gift of healing to be available to pray for people that want prayer for healing this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that sometimes we get it wrong. Lord, sometimes we fall out of relationship with friends, people around us, families, even our spouses. Lord, we know that that's not the way you want us to be. Lord, help us to return to our first love, to restore our love and relationship with this person that you've given us to walk through this journey called life. Lord, we pray for anyone that is sick here this morning. Lord, we know that back in that day there were sick people in the church and this was the instruction you gave them, that they can come forward and they can ask for prayer. And as we pray, believing that you are a powerful, mighty God, Lord, you will touch people, that you will restore people, you will heal and deliver people this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.